African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for joining us right here on African Dialogue. Are you with me, Benjamin Mushadama, for the next hour? Remember, you're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. I thank you for joining us for this next hour. We will be discussing and unpacking also contextualizing some of the big issues on the African continent. Well, leading up uh, to uh, the BRICS Summit, which will be hosted in South Africa in July, there have been a lot of gatherings that have been uh, taking place uh, in the country, really setting the pace for what is going to be held uh, as a BRICS Summit uh, later in a few weeks. And uh, today we're looking at uh, the chairmanship of South Africa and uh, what does that mean for the continent of Africa? Will it position uh, the continent to actually benefit uh, from uh, this uh, regional economic block titled BRICS? And uh, we want to hear your thoughts on our social media at Channel Africa One or at African Dialogue. Now, that's what we'll be looking at uh, today. But before we get into this particular story, uh, let's get our news update from Anne Musa. <laughs> In the headlines, Norwegian Refugee Council raises alarm on a severe hunger crisis looming in South Sudan. Seven people killed by suspected jihadists in northern Mozambique and dozens of homes set alight. And rescue operations are underway in Guatemala following an explosion of the Figo volcano. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musa. The Norwegian Refugee Council has warned that the worst case of a hunger crisis is looming in South Sudan. It says more civilians in South Sudan are without food in more places than ever before in the country's history. The International Aid Agency has attributed an upsurge in fighting, lack of excess and attacks on aid workers and already food insecure communities. Food security experts warned in February that unless aid and excess were maintained, a record 7.1 million South Sudanese would face crisis or worse acute food insecurity between May and July. Seven people have been killed by suspected jihadists in northern Mozambique and dozens of homes have been set on fire. Police say the victims were killed using pangas. They believe the same group is responsible for beheading 10 people last month. The Israeli Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman has slammed the Argentina national football team over the cancellation of a planned friendly against Israel in Jerusalem, calling it a surrender to hate. The World Cup warm-up match venue in Jerusalem was hotly opposed by Palestinians. 
It's a stadium that was built on land which used to be a Palestinian village before being destroyed back in 1948. The people of Gaza have since the 30th of March been holding border protests demanding the return of Palestinians to land they fled or were expelled from during the 1948 war. At least 125 Palestinians have been killed by Israeli gunfire on the frontier. The DRC ambassador to South Africa, Ben Mpoku, has told delegates at the African Capital Cities Sustainability Forum Conference in South Africa's capital, Pretoria, that working together as people of the continent can be a lasting solution to African challenges. Mpoku challenged the forum organizers to invite women who are in majority in terms of population as well as the continental youth to participate in these forums in future. When you have a youthful population, means you have a good future because they are the future. So we are hoping that next time we meet, that the entire continent, all the major, all the capital cities of Africa will be present because the issues we are facing on the continent are very challenging, but we can tackle them head on if we work together. We have to forge our way forward together. We need the participation of everybody, including the women. We can no longer afford to ignore 51% of our population. And finally, rescue operations have resumed in Guatemala following an explosion of the Fega volcano on Sunday. Nearly 200 people are missing and at least 75 have died after a new eruption sent hot gas and molten rock streaming down the volcano's south side. Villages on the slopes have been buried in volcanic ash and mud. More than 1.7 million people have been affected. The BBC's Ali Makbul reports. In some places, the ash covering the foothills of the volcano is still more than 200 degrees Celsius. In the places where it is cool enough for recovery work, it's often so deep that it's impossible to know where to dig to find bodies. And new secondary ruptures can happen at any time. We saw ourselves the panic among rescue workers as the volcano suddenly started spewing lava and ash again. Given the conditions, it could be many, many days until all the victims' families have at least bodies to bury. Recapping the top stories, the Norwegian Refugee Council raises alarm on a severe hunger crisis looming in South Sudan. Israel slams the Argentina national football team over the cancellation of a planned friendly against Israel in Jerusalem, calling it a surrender to hate. And rescue operations resume in Guatemala following an explosion of the Fego volcano. Well, thank you very much, Anne, for that uh, update. And uh, uh, remember, just uh, around 11.45 Central African time, uh, we'll have our business news giving you the updates on what's happening in Africa's economy. And after that, we'll have our African sports news. And uh, that is Fili Lingwati, who will be coming in to give us that update. Well, let's look at the story that we're focusing on today. Uh, Just in a few weeks, we'll have the BRICS Summit that will be hosted in South Africa. 
Africa, a very big moment for South Africa that will be actually uh, chairing now uh, the BRICS grouping. But uh, there have been a few gatherings that have been taking place in South Africa as a lead up uh, to uh, this gathering. We've already had the BRICS ministers of foreign affairs, international relations uh, meeting, and also we've had the BRICS think tank council meeting before the main summit. But just recently, BRICS ministers have expressed their support for continued cooperation for member states in areas of mutual interest, including through regular exchanges amongst their multilateral missions. Foreign affairs ministers from Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa held a media, uh, rather meeting in Pretoria as part of uh, preparing for the bloc's 10th summit to be held in Johannesburg. The summit will be held under the theme BRICS in Africa, Collaboration for Inclusive Growth and Shared Responsibility in the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Let's listen as Amos Sapajo reports and he looked at this particular gathering. The ministers recalled the BRICS tradition of outreach to extend its cooperation to fellow developing and emerging economies. In this respect, the ministers welcomed South Africa's two-pronged outreach approach through the BRICS Africa Dialogue and the BRICS Plus Cooperation to be held during the summit. China's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Wang Yi, elaborates through the help of an interpreter. The world has cast its eyes on BRICS and expects BRICS to play a bigger role in international affairs. In such a context, it is more important for BRICS countries to have a broader strategic vision, stronger collective strength and a greater sense of responsibilities. And we will take on opportunities of building a second golden decade and make greater contribution for peace and development in the world. The ministers exchanged views on current issues of global significance in political, security, economic, financial and sustainable development spheres. This in the wake of serious global challenges including the strife in Turkey, the migration to Europe, as well as the intensification of conflict between Israel and Palestine amongst others. They deplored the continued terrorist attacks including in some BRICS countries. South Africa's Minister of International Relations, Lindy Wesisulu, condemned terrorism in all its forms and manifestation. We therefore raise these issues including our grave concerns associated with growing instability in the Middle East, amongst others, the Israel-Palestinian situation, the crisis in Syria and Yemen, and the unfolding unfolding catastrophe in Afghanistan. Finding inclusive, peaceful, negotiated solutions to these conflicts is absolutely fine for all of us. The ministers reiterated BRICS' commitment to multilateralism and a rules-based international order and in this regard reaffirmed the centrality of the United Nations, World Trade Organization and international law. Speaking through an interpreter, Russia's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Sergei Lavrov, says they will be working closely in global bodies to promote multilateralism. We have also discussed about how to continue our cooperation within the UN, G20, World Trade Organization and other international organizations. We have confirmed our adherence to principles of indivisible security, collective dispute settlement through diplomatic and political means based on international law and central role played by the UN. We have a common position on zero tolerance for unilateral approaches and attempts to revise international legal instruments and 
resolutions taken by the UN Security Council. The ministers commended African countries and the African Union on the signing of the African Continental Free Trade Area as an important step to economic integration on the continent and the unlocking of the tremendous potential of intra-Africa trade and addressing the socio-economic challenges. In this regard, the ministers reiterated their support for Agenda 2063 and efforts to promote continental integration and development. I'm Amos Pao in Pretoria. Well, uh, that story segues us to the discussion and we've got great guests and experts on the line to help us understand this build-up to the BRICS Summit. We've got on the line Dr. Pilanim Tembu, who is also central in the discussions uh, at uh, uh, the BRICS Think Tank Council Gatherings. That's Dr. Pilanim Tembu, who is an executive director of the Institute for Global Dialogue, which is associated with the University of South Africa. We also have Luanda Pungose, who is a program director at Governance and Foreign Policy Program, which is integrated within the South Africa Institute of International Affairs. And Desmond Dessar is also on the line, coordinator at the South Durban Community Environmental Alliance. I want to start with you, Dr. Mtembu, in terms of uh, uh, the importance of the build-up uh, to the BRICS Summit in itself. And as I mentioned, that uh, uh, the Think Tank Forum uh, was taking place uh, just recently, bringing um, experts uh, uh, really to look at uh, the big discussions that could be uh, re- exposed at uh, this upcoming uh, BRICS gathering. Tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the BRICS uh, Think Tank Council. What was the importance of your gathering as we anticipate the BRICS summit in a few weeks? Well, the importance of it is about extending relations amongst BRICS countries beyond uh, state-to-state relations and about deepening it uh, towards people-to-people relations. So if you look, we're no longer talking about BRICS as a track one diplomacy issue, which only involves the respective BRICS governments. Mm. You also have a lot of interaction taking place among think tanks, universities, uh, the business councils, Uh, And this obviously is a way of expanding and deepening relations. But you also have track three initiatives that are taking place, which is where civil society find their spaces, labor, youth, uh, women. And and, and all of those formations amongst BRICS countries are finding avenues, um, you know, to deepen their cooperation. And I think the important thing about the BRICS Academic Forum was exactly gathering academics from BRICS countries to at least start discussing some of the core issues that will be part of uh, the summit and to also try and find partnerships amongst think tanks from BRICS countries that would do research that is relevant to the BRICS countries on important geopolitical dynamics that affect Mm. them. Dr. Mtembu, what is the sentiment that was the overarching or more dominant theme at these discussions? What were the biggest concerns in terms of these relations that you highlight within BRICS countries? Well, I think the key thing was really reflecting on the previous decade, um, but then also trying to find ways of saying what will BRICS do in the next decade? And I think You know, already BRICS has shown a certain level of resilience. I mean, you have many naysayers who who said, you know, a group of countries with such differences 
um, geographic differences, distance, and so forth, culture would not be able to actually cooperate on the global stage. So I think what, is, what the key thing was a reflection of the previous decade, but then also a call to BRICS countries to further institutionalize um, some of the relations that have developed um, over, the, over the, the 10 year period, taking it into the next decade. There's important initiatives such as the New Development Bank and its Africa Regional uh, Center. We must also remember that uh, this year um, the Americas Regional Center is set to open in Brazil, uh, who will be hosting the next uh, BRICS uh, 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 summit. And therefore we see a deepening, I think, of relations amongst BRICS countries, but we also see an, a consistent outreach from BRICS countries to other developing countries and emerging economies. And that, of course, is an important part mm. of uh, the role that BRICS plays as a reformer in global politics, because it has to work and find ways of building relations with fellow developing countries and countries in the global south in order to reform, uh, reform international institutions. Well, let me come to you, Luyanda. Uh, very strong points there highlighted by Dr. Mtembu, highlighting the resilience of uh, BRICS countries themselves and also the fact that uh, they're starting to think even beyond uh, their own regional bloc and starting to extend their arm to other developing countries. Uh, those are the sentiments of Dr. Pilan Mtembu. We know that uh, together Brazil, Russia, India, China and South Africa uh, make almost up to 50% of the world population, close to one-third of the world's economic output or GDP. But let's look at the successes uh, in the last 10 years. Has this been a real formidable uh, team in terms of bringing real transformation, in terms of economic development on on the ground in these various countries? Have we seen progress so far? I think, um, well, hi, uh, Benjamin. Thank you for having me. Let me start there. And um, just before I get to that, I'd like to really just echo the sentiments by uh, Dr. Pilani, who has highlighted the fact that this is an outreach that has gone beyond South Africa and just the BRICS in general, but, you know, to the developing South. And this is, I mean, South Africa has a huge part to play in that because the first ever outreach to be done by the BRICS was done by South Africa at the Etiguini Summit, where it invited key African countries to come and participate in the BRICS deliberations where they can have meetings on the sidelines with the BRICS heads of states. So I, I believe that is is an achievement on its own because South Africa's foreign policy pillar is African development. And what better way to do that by actually inviting the African heads of state to actually come and deliberate and have a voice in this in this BRICS configuration. And, you know, in terms of just like the difference that the BRICS have made, the key achievements have been the, the New Development Bank and now the, the Africa Regional Center that, that has been launched sure. in Johannesburg. And there has going to be a launch of the Brazilian um, um, sort of um, regional center as well. Sure. So that is a major, major achievement of the BRICS. And, I mean, going forward, there is a need to institutionalize this, as Pilani has mentioned. But, you know, just in terms of other forums where the BRICS have played a formidable role, it's just, you know, the international financial institutions like the WTO, the World Bank, and the International Monetary Fund, where actually the BRICS does lobby, and, you know, they do advance the interests of the global south and not just the BRICS countries, to be able to play a reformist, you know, they, they catalyze a reform agenda in these in these institutions where they want um, the developing South to be more represented. Mm. And also just like the reform of the United Nations Security Council, where South Africa is actually loving to join. 
So it's, it's sort of like those key changes with the BRICS is like sort of, sort of part of making the global rules and setting up the agenda. And I think that's, that's, that's quite relevant in this world that we're in. Desmond, let me bring you into the discussion. Do you agree with the sentiments from Dr. Mtembu and Luyan Dampungos, who are both joining us on the line? No, I think we're living in different worlds. Clearly, we're living in different worlds. Um, look, the BRICS, um, uh, if it was serious about the upliftment and improvement in local, in uh, to uplift the Africans in the continent, then it was the first part of it will be a proper consultation. We've seen the loan granted this week, 200 million from the BRICS Development Bank. There's been no, pro- no consultation, and despite this being a democratic society, and especially for such an important and controversial project that they've been funding to expand the Durban Container Port. Now, we had the same thing with the Washington bankers, the World, the World Bank and other multilateral uh, financial institutions who adopted the same thing, the same attitude of sidelining civil society and sidelining people that's going to be affected and forced out. Um, we saw that with the 5 billion rand, the BRICS was given a 5 billion rand loan in 2013, right, to, um, for, the, for the Chinese agreement to, build the, to develop the uh, trains. Uh, and we saw that how much of that money was given, uh, at least 21% was given to kickbacks. That time, Brian Molefe, you know, the controversial Brian Molefe, who was all over the media now uh, in, uh, uh, in relationship, was part of Transnet then. Mm. And we also realized that um, the Guptas had got 21% kickbacks from that 5 billion rand loan through the Chinese. Now... I just recently got back and we've been engaging with our African brothers uh, in Tanzania and in Mozambique. And what we're finding out in those countries where the BRICS is very actively involved, some of the major BRICS countries, you are finding that the looting of the resources, what we call the extractive curse, is happening throughout the African continent. And what is happening in return is that the civil society spaces to speak out and to to put an alternative voice on the table is close. Uh, civil society activists are finding themselves being arrested uh, through the, uh, by the threats by the government because it's big infrastructure projects at all costs, relocating thousands of people, mm. destroying the marine life, their livelihoods. It's happening all over, whether it's in Lake Chad where the water is drying up, mm-hmm. Lake Malawi and other parts, and in Mozambique, where we just recently got back from uh, a few days ago. We've been there where we, 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 we are, uh, people are speaking out and mm. saying the BRICS is no different to the rest of what the World Bank and all the other multilateral because poverty is increasing in those communities. People are left homeless. The land has been stolen from them and they're in worse conditions. We in South Durban know fully well how the land has been taken and continues to be taken mm. by the development of big infrastructure projects despite the fact that we have 50% of our young people unemployed in this country and no jobs created. Well, I let, mean, let, why would we go down this route sure. of big infrastructure projects that BRICS is pushing forward and they come in with their own labor, they come in with their own uh, material and equipment throughout the continent. It doesn't benefit local. Why build something that's mm. not going to benefit local people, do not create jobs for local mm. people, destroy the environment, destroy the land, 
and the flight of capital once again. Well, let me bring that. Similar to what happened sure. in um, Desmond, let, let, let me just give our other guests a chance. I hear your sentiments, your overall uh, critical viewpoint, the fact that uh, these uh, projects initiated by BRICS countries uh, through these infrastructural projects are not really benefiting the person on, on the ground and it's not really uh, ideas and concepts uh, that uh, are actually uh, centric to more localized benefits. And I'll come back to to those viewpoints and we'll ask uh, Dr. Sure. Pilanim Tembu and Luanda Mpongoso what they think about the strategy that has been utilized and it seems like uh, what you're highlighting has been a concern of a lot of uh, uh, critics of uh, uh, the BRICS formation. But let's take a quick break and we'll bring that question to the forefront after this. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize it's just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9am with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time 1000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa the voice of the African Renaissance broadcasting from an African perspective Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue, where from Monday to Thursday, we really try to unpack the big subject matters on the African continent. And uh, today, we're looking at the build-up uh, to the BRICS Summit, which will be taking place uh, in July. And uh, it will be a very important uh, uh, gathering, as South Africa will be actually chairing this uh, gathering and trying to position Africa in some context. But already, we've heard two contrasting views Dr. Pilanem Tembuluanda Mpongwasu will see some form of progress being made in terms of this economic block, but also Desmond Tussauds joining us from the South Durban Community Environmental Alliance, saying that he's being very critical of this gathering as he doesn't see the initiatives that have been exploited by the BRICS formation actually making a difference and trickling down to the ordinary person in, in terms of job creation and making sure that uh, the local environment is being improved. Dr. Pilanim Tembu, what are your thoughts on some of the critical points that have been brought forward by Desmond Dessa? Well, I think let, let, let's, let's distinguish. Um, just I'll, I'll touch on two points. The sure. first one is that there is no um, BRICS project outside South Africa. There's no, there's no BRICS collective BRICS project outside South Africa. The only funds that have been dispersed within the new development bank have gone to BRICS countries. So we can't talk about a concerted, coordinated approach from BRICS in Africa. There is no such. So I think what our um, what our uh, colleague uh, was doing was criticizing individual bilateral relations mm. between some of the BRICS countries and other African countries. Mm. Now, with time, um, the loans that are coming from the new development bank, 
especially if you look at the, at the approach of the Africa Regional Centers. The question is, to what extent now will those loans be benefiting not only BRICS countries but also regional partners? Now, that is where I think we must then come in, where your civil society will have a role to play in terms of observing the type of um, loans that are, that are actually uh, being granted, what impact they're having on local communities, on sustainable development, and so forth. The second issue, I think, is we can't, you know, governance failures on the continent are not as a result of the BRICS. Governance failures within Africa are, precede the formation of BRICS. We can't, I think, blame uh, BRICS for a failure of oversight within individual nation states on the African continent because then the same critique that one would have to a large project coming from a BRICS country must then be the same critique for a project that is coming, you know, from a... Um, a donor uh, coming from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Mm. By far the biggest funds coming into Africa are not coming from China or Russia or India um, or Brazil. The biggest funds coming into the African continent come from outside and are coming from Europe, are coming from the United States. African countries are still largely dependent on foreign aid that comes from the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Now, the fact that there is corruption on some projects is not because suddenly we have a BRICS formation. It is because those problems have preceded that and have been there. So it's the responsibility of each and every individual African country to clean up its act to ensure that the type of partnerships it enters into with countries either in BRICS or outside of BRICS are there to serve their interests, not the interests of particular elites within those countries, but that they serve the broader society. It's hmm. not BRICS's responsibility to fix governance challenges within Africa. It's, it's, it's up to those particular states working you know, with civil society hmm. And there I absolutely support what my, you know, the, 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 the role mm. and the potential mm. role of civil society sure. in being a watchdog for the type of agreement that individual African countries enter into. But that doesn't just relate to BRICS countries. It relates to all countries mm. that are entering into infrastructure projects and uh, development cooperation projects mm. with African countries. Let me bring Luyande in. Clearly, we, we also, I think, need some form of accountability with the way that business is done through uh, BRICS initiatives. And I mean, uh, Benjamin, I think maybe what uh, our colleague Desmond is alluding to here and maybe might be confusing China's relationship sure. with Africa hmm. with the BRICS relationship with Africa. Hmm. I mean, there has been a lot of criticism towards China and its model in, in its engagement with Africa, and these are issues that are being addressed. They are ongoing. But as, as Dr. Pilani has sort of like summarized, that it's, it's not necessarily the BRICS. The BRICS have not funded outside of the BRICS countries. 
But, you know, in terms of just the accountability, that is something that really has to be taken to the New Development Bank, where there needs to be greater transparency as to where the money goes and how the money is spent. But currently, when you go, even when you go to the website, there actually is a breakdown on, on the funding of projects and how much money is allocated to each member country. So, I mean, it's very important to have an active and, and, and robust civil society that will call for, you know, a lot of different things. And I hear that Desmond is really passionate about, you know, the environment and, you know, not taking the land to have infrastructure projects that don't employ local people. And that is the, the role of civil society, to become a watchdog to, to ensure that, you know, these countries are accountable and that these mechanisms are accountable. But also just an important and a very important aspect, Benjamin, would be to really understand what the BRICS is and what it sets us to do. Because there's a lot, there's a lot of things that are said about what the BRICS is doing or isn't doing that they actually haven't articulated been trying to do. So it's important to understand the nuances mm. of the BRICS. What is this grouping? What do they want to do? And what is it that they actually are not able to do to better understand and to better leverage our mm. own interests as South Africa, as Africa, and the other BRICS countries? Desmond, what is your response to uh, that uh, uh, feedback from uh, Luanda and Dr. Tim Timbo? Well, look, uh, there's a number of points that have been made. What is lacking, though, is the substance. Uh, let me start off with this whole notion of the African continent and the countries that are affected with the BRICS countries, China, Brazil, Russia, India, and South Africa. They're all over. They're on the DRC. They are in the Mozambique. They're in uh, uh, Malawi and other countries, right, in Africa, in Uganda and Ghana and all that. We know for a fact that... Um, the development of those countries to improve uh, the, the lots of society is not happening. And despite the fact that a lot of the resources, yes, it's individual countries that are signing up to those countries, but at the end of the day, it's the five big main players that are in there. And there are other role players, like the Australian Mining Corporation and others as well. But I'm talking about the, the BRICS countries, that their role in Africa and how it's impoverishing the rest of the continent. The people are getting flight of capital out of those countries are not benefiting the local people. Secondly, the, the BRICS uh, summit in Durban in 2013, where, I, where, I, where we had the BRICS from below summit in Durban, when we challenged them around the issue of the $5 billion loan that led to the contract with the China uh, Development Bank uh, where they gave $5 billion, right? And that uh, happened, and that occurred under the auspices of the then CEO, Brian Molefe, where the Chinese state-owned Shanghai heavy industry to build the world's most overpriced container cranes. We saw three of those cranes in Durban, resulting in the port becoming overpriced. Um, and we know about the kickbacks, the 21% kickbacks to the Guptas, more than 400 million rand that came out of it. What we are saying, the, under this big infrastructure projects, is a host of corruption. We've seen it with all the state parastatals, uh, where the state the parastatals have been looted, um, the, the huge loans, even the World Bank. I mean, we had a big loan, the World Bank loan, in 2009 that came from the World Bank that resulted in Madhupi and Kusili, and that's billions of rand that we still owe. And the interest has gone up, uh, which we are finding it difficult to pay back. As a result, ESCOM is coming back to local people, to ordinary people like you and me, and wanting the money and wanting more money from local people, squeezing us out, getting us off the electricity yeah, yeah. because we can't afford to pay anymore. Yeah. Right? So these big multilateral loans eventually comes back to local South Africans, 
local Africans that are involved, mm. they're going to have to pay back increasing poverty. We've mm. seen the poverty in, on the continent increase over 50%. Why is it uh, another, another change, another shift away from these big infrastructure projects to what I call local economy, local ownership of the land? Why can't our government think out the box? Mm. Why can't our government start putting together a program to say, the people must benefit from so anything that comes, any loan that comes, mm -hmm. must be improving people's lives, must create jobs. It must be local jobs, local for local people. That is not the idea. Mm. Why aren't we doing that? Why are we creating huge, um, um, huge harbors, huge uh, rail, huge airports, only to allow capital and only to bring in goods from other parts of the world? to destroy the local economy. We've got a very small local economy. Mm. That, and well, if you allow this to carry on, the question I want to bring to you, Desmond, are we not conflating issues here as Dr. Mtembu and both uh, Luanda have alluded to in terms of uh, the fact that uh, the agenda of uh, uh, the BRICS formation should not be uh, blurred into uh, governance issues that each country is responsible for. Shouldn't we not hold uh, our own African governments accountable uh, for some of these issues that you've highlighted? Because I think you, you're more conflating the BRICS uh, agenda with uh, governance uh, uh, malpractice. Well, well, look, it's about the money. If we, the more money we take from the development banks and all the BRICS development banks, uh, to develop these big infrastructure projects, it means that we are beholden to the big country. It means that the idea of developing uh, local economies for local people will never be, will never see the daylight. Mm. It will always be the big, uh, big shipping companies, uh, big infrastructure projects to allow the importing of all these goods from other parts of the world, like China, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Russia. It will always be the energy needs for us to develop big factories big companies that use big energy users so that we can have nuclear energy. It's always going to be that. It's never going to be. And that's why, for us, the, the BRICS should have been developed by local people so that the understanding is clear. So what are the needs of the country? The needs of the country that's been put forward to us is misleading. Mm. It's misleading the entire mm. population on the premise that it can create jobs when we know the opposite is that it does not create jobs for local people. It's not going to... It's not going to increase wealth for local people in the communities that they're living in the township. Many of our people in the townships are living in abject poverty, living in inhumane conditions, unemployed, you know, and yet this process of the BRICS, like all the multilateral institutions of the world, like the World Bank, the EU Bank, and all these banks, all they're concerned about is billions of dollars. To be All right, to let, let me bring Luyanda in. Sure. Let me bring Luyanda in. It is this conflation that I'm calling it that Desmond is highlighting not necessary for us uh, to actually have. Uh, real tailor-made uh, projects that really deal with the real issues on the ground. Maybe Desmond does have an issue here, Luyanda. I, I absolutely agree with you, Benjamin, and I really do hear and understand uh, um, Desmond's grievances. You know, he speaks he speaks to a lot of governance issues. He speaks about corruption. He speaks about, you know, um, like there's, there's so many governance issues that he's bringing in. But I think that maybe his grievances in this particular regard is misplaced because as 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 
it has been mentioned before that this is probably like an African problem mm. or this is probably a domestic problem in which, you know, and he did mention civil society and this, mm. these are areas in which civil society can be robust and, you know, sort of get accountability. But I think that maybe in this particular conversation, in this, mm. in this, in this context, it may be miscued because it, it, it sort of assumes as if the BRICS have said that they want to meddle in, in sort of like the domestic issues sure. of accountability. And if you look at the BRICS formation, and one of the agreements is that sovereignty is sovereignty. What happens in domestic um, affairs is not to be interfered with by, by, by the BRICS. They don't come together in order to address or to respond to governance issues, but they are a grouping that wants to respond to economic, and they've even gone beyond economic now, where they speak about, you know, sort of like the political and socioeconomic issues that ail countries of the BRICS countries, and they take this into the international fora, and they go to multilateral institutions to further these, um, these interests of BRICS countries and the developing South. So I think that maybe Desmond, there is a conversation to be had about governance and these governance issues that ail South Africans and Africans more broadly, but maybe in this particular conversation, we just maybe need to understand a bit clearly what the BRICS aims to do and what it actually cannot do. So Dr. Pilani, that brings this question of, as an ordinary African, how does BRICS actually benefit me as just a regular citizen? Because uh, if it's going to be really about uh, highbrow decision-making and large projects that are uh, really initiated upon, the question remains, how do ordinary Africans benefit from this particular uh, formation? Well, I think we must go into even some of these infrastructure projects. Sure. I mean, some of, you know, some, you know, we, we might differ on which particular infrastructure project might have what benefits, yeah. who the winners are, who the mm-hmm. losers are, and so forth. But if countries are assisting you to build up your infrastructure, you're building up roads, you're building up your rail system, um, you're allowing better interconnectivity within Africa, which then enables your smaller community, your smaller farmers or your bigger farmers to actually get their goods from where they are to the marketplace much faster, more efficiently. If you build up a a train system in Ethiopia or Kenya that allows the local population to reduce their travel times, those are tangible benefits to local Mm. people. We might disagree on which project, you know, should be built and which project shouldn't be built, you know, but I think, you know, to, 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 to paint things in black and white, I think is not helping. There's new ones here. So there are areas where BRICS are having a tangible impact um, within the continent. And, you know, even with China's uh, infrastructure loans, African countries had been asking European partners to give infrastructure loans for many, many years. European partners had refused and had been pumping their money towards social programs and so forth. Now when China came in and actually gave loans for infrastructure, then suddenly infrastructure projects are a problem. But mm-hmm. we see the, 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 the tangible benefits. And I think if we add new ones to the mm-hmm. discussion, mm-hmm. Where there is corruption, call it out by mm. all means. That is the role of civil society. Let, but let each and every country mm. strengthen its own institutions so that they are able to benefit from the type of agreements that are being struck with BRICS countries and with countries outside of the BRICS.
Last example, mm. South Africa, two-thirds of our foreign direct investment in South Africa, it doesn't come from BRICS country. It comes from Europe. Two-thirds of our foreign direct investment. Are we scrutinizing all of that foreign direct investment and saying is it having an impact on the local people and so forth? Or are we just doing a fear-mongering of BRICS and 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 overhyping it as though mm. it is our ma- as if it's our ma- most important uh, uh, partners. Mm. The reality is that in South Africa, European capital is still the most important, mm. um, and then other countries come in. So I think we need to have a bit more nuance in mm. the discussion. Well, it's a, a different direction that we took that uh, I expected from uh, the discussion, but a necessary one for unpacking some of uh, these uh, uh, perceptions that we have of BRICS. But Dr. Pernam Timbers, as we wrap it up, I've got a minute left. Um, just in 30 seconds, uh, how do you think South Africans' chairmanship uh, could reposition Africa gaining from this economic block as we wrap it up? I think we've lost some ground in recent years in our, on, on our diplomacy within Africa. And I think this summit allows us and gives us an opportunity to reboot our foreign policy, to regain some lost ground within the continent, and, um, and, 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 and to demonstrate what mm-hmm. we want to achieve with the Africa Regional Center. Mm-hmm. I think that will, will provide potential for benefits within our immediate uh, sub-region. Luanda, your thoughts on that uh, issue of South Africa's chairmanship, just in 30 seconds as we wrap it up? I think it's a stronger Africa Regional Centre, which is clear about what it is going to be funding. I mean, having spoken to quite a few African stakeholders in the diplomatic community, it has been very clear that what people want is to be able to actually get funding for industrialization. So a stronger Africa mm. Regional Centre would be my, my input. Desmond, your thoughts on uh, South Africa's chairmanship and where you hope it can take BRICS, especially for well, the I, continent? Well, I think we, well, I think we need uh, um, more engagement in civil society, and mm. I think we need assessment of the projects that have been done already by the BRICS to see whether the benefits have been at the local level or not. Well, thank you so much. A very interesting and uh, a dynamic conversation. I never thought that it would go to this degree, uh, but uh, very much welcomed in terms of getting those different views uh, coming from our guests. Uh, questions that me, myself, I ask about BRICS itself. So it's uh, uh, very interesting to see where the dialogue is when it comes uh, to our trust, our understanding of uh, BRICS in itself. So we thank all our guests for giving us their time and expertise. Thank you to Dr. Pilanem Tembu. Executive Director at the Institute for Global Dialogue, associated with the University of South Africa. Thank you, Luanda Mpungose, who is the Program Director for Governance and Foreign Policy Program at the South Africa Institute for International Affairs. And Desmond Desau was also with us on the line, Coordinator at the South Durban Community Environmental Alliance. Thank you all for giving us your time and for the robust discussion. Well, that takes us to 11.46 Central African time. We already have Joalane Tulo. She hasn't been here in a while. It's great to have her back. And she's going to give us our business news.